As strange things happens to me when I eat a lot, I seem to lose my appetite. <laughs> the funny thing is though, if I smell something really good, I start to get hungry. <laughs> We've heard a lot and our heads are full and our bodies are tired. One moment of the fragrance of Jesus and our capacity amazingly increases. In his presence is not only fullness of joy but an expansion of our inner man. And the Holy Spirit is working in all of our lives to strengthen us in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. So we want to just pray for all those who are tired and full, knowing that the new man still hungers for more. Let's pray. Our Father, we come and we have sung and worshipped of our great God. We have once again pointed to the fact that God is our goal, our inheritance. We also are amazed as we've been hearing that we are your inheritance. And we ask that by the Holy Spirit's revelation you might reconcile that great contrast as we desire to walk with you. Help us now, strengthening us by the Holy Spirit within, placing Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our all, in our hearts, dwelling there by faith. We come to you with great thanksgiving for such a spirit of worship, such a hunger among the saints, and such a light upon us. Oh, blessed be our God. What a great heritage we have. We pray in his precious name. Amen. We have several scriptures we'd like to read, if you'll follow me. Uh, first of all, simply a few verses in Luke and chapter 12. Luke and chapter 12. This matter of our inheritance, as we mentioned last night, touches upon two other themes in the Bible, major themes, one regarding sonship and one regarding the kingdom. When we talk about these great matters, they are awesome matters, and they can be fearful to us. We know that there's great gain in the kingdom, but there's also great price. And so Jesus gives us verse 31 and 32 as he speaks to his own disciples. Indeed, he's speaking prophetically to us as well. And he says, Seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And then in 1 John and chapter 3, touching again on this matter of sonship. 1 John and chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, <clears throat> now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And then uh, we want to read a number of verses from beginning at the very end of Hebrews chapter 11. Begin in verse 39. 
I think we all know Hebrews chapter 11, as it mentions, many of those who gained their spiritual inheritance, as it were. And yet there's a very interesting summation that the writer makes that I want us to consider seriously tonight. Beginning in verse 39 of chapter 11. And all of these, having gained a testimony through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom he loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, as we, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Of course, we could go on with that, but we'll stop at that point. And finally, want to turn to Joshua and chapter 18 and a few verses. Joshua 18. beginning in verse 1. Then the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there and the land was subdued before them. There remained among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided their inheritance. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. Provide for yourselves three men from each tribe, that I may send them, and that they may rise and walk through the land, and write a description of it according to their inheritance. Then they shall return to me. I'm hoping that that would be a word for all of us tonight. The Lord would say to us, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? <laughs> what an amazing word and what a wonderful thought this is. I feel like, in a sense, we're gathered at Shiloh. We've pitched a temporary tent. We've gathered and worshipped our God. We confess that Jesus is our inheritance. 
It's a good Sunday school answer. Joshua, that's Jesus' name in Hebrew. Joshua the Messiah brought us into the promised land. It's our inheritance. Wonderful Joshua. We worship our Savior who brought us into the promised land. But of course the analogy goes far beyond because the promised land is Christ himself. And so here we are in Christ, our promised land. Even as these different tribes. Now you see, we come from the Jerseyites and the, the Flushingites and the Richmondites. The various tribes of God's people. We've gathered here together at Shiloh, singing the songs, worshiping before the tent of meeting. But then God speaks through Joshua and says, Now wait a minute. Seven of you tribes have not gone and possessed your possessions yet. Now it's all well and good to sit here and worship and say, Christ is our possession. But we've got to do more than stay in Shiloh. And of course that's the place where the Lord really works out our spiritual inheritance back home among the Manhattanites. Oh, what a ruddy tribe that is. And your tribe as well, whatever the name of your tribe. You see, that's where the Lord works out the spiritual inheritance. Now we have a lot of good Sunday school answers here. Christ is our inheritance. All we want is Christ. Is that right? Amen. Then go find him down there in the tribe of Dan. Oh, but Dan is afraid to go. Dan loves to come together with Judah because, of course, Judah is one of those tribes that's claimed their inheritance. They got Caleb. You know Caleb. His name means dog. And he's, he's like a dog. He's a dog of faith. We see back in chapter 14, he comes up to Joshua and says, Now, Josh, I'm 85 years old. And I believe God will enable me to take that beautiful place up on the hill, 3,000 feet above sea level. That wonderful fresh air place where the giants live. Let me go up there and put my foot on the neck of Goliath's relatives. 85 years old. Man of faith. And he did exactly that. And he took the land and called it Hebron. I like fellowship better than Kiriath Arba, or whatever it used to be called. Hebron. The home. Judas. City. Caleb. Man of faith. Dog of faith. Such a brother. Tribe of Judah. They inherit. They, they got all their property. As a matter of fact, it's an interesting little story. It's a picture for us. I want to suggest that the Lord is saying to us here, I want you to be more than conquerors. I want you to possess the land you've conquered. And we remember the wonderful little story at the beginning of Judges. If you don't know it, you might turn to Judges chapter 1. And what happened was, just below Hebron, down a couple of miles down the road, there was this city called Debir. And there were, it was a stronghold of the enemy. So Caleb said, anybody who defeats Debir gets my daughter, Aksa, for a wife. Now, Aksa was Miss Israel in the year 1400 B.C. <laughs> well, Othniel... The nephew of Caleb, as it turns out, another Judah man of faith, went down there and defeated that stronghold and took over that city and gained that wife. And don't you know what the wife said immediately? She said, Oh, Daddy, now you've given me this wonderful desert spot. Could I also have streams of water so I can actually live in my inheritance? Caleb says, well done, daughter. You get the streams and the hills as well. Possessing our possessions. Not just living in the desert, but wherever the Lord has us place our feet, to stand there, to be built together there, to discover a spiritual inheritance there. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, 
The Lord's after something so much more than for you to be a vocational success. Than for you in your lifetime to find a happy little house and two and a half children and a car. The Lord's after spiritual inheritance to be gained through you. Listen to that word at the end of Hebrews 11. Isn't that amazing? All of these brothers and sisters by faith were a testimony of that spiritual inheritance which they still did not receive. Waiting for us to make the final claims on that promised land so that the king can come back and say, Now we have all possessed it and here I come. And all of those giants of the Old Testament, they're waiting for Jerseyites. You have an appointment with destiny. And it's no time for you to be building your own houses with sticks when the house of God lays in ruins. It's no time to say, oh, we claim everything for Christ if we're not willing to go and step on the land. In the name of the Lord. And be a testimony that His house is here. Oh, these issues are large. As we said, going right back to Adam and Eve. He, God had no interest in having a gardener. He was after more through Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. Be a man the way I was purposed for man to be. Inherit the earth. And then take this earth. And by the divine life. And through uh, my process. Through the sun. Of bringing many sons to glory. Transform this earth. Until the glory of God fills the earth. As the waters cover the sea. What a destiny was for man. But how man fell. Instead of becoming a possessor of the heavens. Uh, of the earth. As their heritage. We find ourselves losing ground in a world that's crying out in its corrupt stage because of sin. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, please bring to liberty the sons of God so that it all can be turned around and the great moan of creation can be transformed into worship in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is why you are upon this planet. Oh, God wants you to get married and have a job, go to school, whatever it is that uh, you do in your lifetime. But you know there's so much more about your life than just those things. You're being drawn by destiny. And the Lord would say to every one of us, we stand in Christ. Now will Christ in glory dwell in us. We dwell in Christ. That's our rest. Now Christ wants to rest in the rest as He dwells in us. And there is a glorious undertaking that takes much battle. It takes sacrifice. It takes a work of the cross. It takes self-denial. It takes following the Lord in lonely places. There were, I, I'm sure, those seven tribes, as they're listed immediately following, if you care to look and see who they were in detail, I'm sure that in every one of those tribal areas, there was a dark place, a stronghold, that had to be gained victory. Just as sure as I am that in every one of the places we represent here, there are strongholds that protest the full inheritance of God being testified to by the body of Christ in those locations. Why there is some uh, gospel witness to be made. There is some sacrifice to pay. And if we are just sated with selfishness, we may talk about Christ, but we lose the inheritance. Where is that piece of property for your family and your tribe and your town? Where is it? And so we have this wonderful word here. Now you know the word of God is so precious. The word of God is a two-edged sword. Where there are those people gathered who are the Lord's people standing for the inheritance and they are persecuted and they are hated. You know what the Lord says? Oh, fear not, little flock. 
It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We find such words of encouragement like that, especially we find it in the context where there's people going through very difficult times. The Father says, the inheritance is yours. Just stand here. It's my good pleasure. The assurance, the comfort of those who are battle-torn and persecuted. There's many in this world who have nothing but that promise from the Lord. On the other hand, the Word of God being a sharp two-edged sword speaks by the spirit of exhortation as we see throughout the book of Hebrews and warns us about being lazy, about falling short, about neglecting all these things that have been given to us in Christ. The writer is so strong, and to me the, great, the strongest point he makes is when he comes there in chapter 12. Well, there's so much he says and warns, but when he says, be careful that you don't come short of the grace of God and that a root of bitterness rises up in you, that you become like Esau, who despised his birthright for some soup. Afterwards he repented and wanted his inheritance he could not gain it. It was too late. We know in the Bible that it says an awful thing. We know that God is love, but it says, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. And God hated Esau with a holy hatred. And do you know why? Did God hate Esau before he was born? No. Did God hate Esau because he didn't like the way he looked? No. God hated Esau because he despised his birthright. God said, I hate you. Esau, born of the patriarchs and of the family of faith to gain the inheritance. And he says, I care nothing for the spiritual inheritance. I don't care about the birthright. I don't care about any of that. I just want what I want. I want to hunt. I want to fish. I want to eat. I want to sleep. I want to be married to 15 women. God says, I hate that. Among God's people, those who despise the birthright are as bad as Esau. That's a very strong word, isn't it? The Word of God says it right out. Of course, then the writer says, many times after giving those strong exhortations, especially like in Hebrews chapter 6 about falling away, he says, but brothers, I'm convinced of better things concerning you. Now, we've gathered together to Shiloh because we've been drawn by a sense of destiny. We know there's something the Lord wants in us. He wants to gain. And so we've been drawn. I don't know why you came. Maybe you just came with friends. Maybe you came because you got a free ride. I, I don't know. But I know something. The Lord has a deeper reason for you being here. There's destiny to be gained. There's things to be done. There's a powerful force going on right now in this world according to the scriptures. In Ephesians 1.10 it says that in the fullness of times God will gather together under Christ all things. Right now there's this powerful spiritual magnet that's been turned on. And it's drawing all things under the headship and lordship and majesty of Christ. And that includes you and I. Drawn. Do you sense yourself being drawn into something by the Spirit of God? It's all the spiritual force and energy in this universe. The Spirit of God is drawing us under Christ. Drawing us into inheritance. What a wonderful time to be alive to see the Lord doing this. As I've often said, it's one of my favorite examples. The fact of the matter is, for most of you here, it's already too late. You've been drawn into the inheritance, and there's no stopping now. You can drive up so close and put your wheels in those little rails and get up to the place of the car wash, but when that thing hooks your car, you're going to go through. Now you can say, whoa, stop, wait, I don't want to go. Put it in reverse, you'll still go through. 
You can roll down the windows and protest. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> if the Lord has captured you, He will draw you through this process of sanctification by which we gain the inheritance. And He will have His way. And most of you have suckered your way right into that uh, Christocentric spiritual car wash. <laughs> now why don't you take your foot off the brake? And let the Lord take you through. You see, we need to get all the way through. As you can see, each of us, as brothers, we have different concerns and burdens. One of my concerns as I see a young generation grow up is they have all the language of worship of their love for the Lord. But when I look at the assemblies as we've gathered together, we've hardly inspected the land. We know so little of Christ. You can hear it in our prayers. It's the same old bumbo-jumbo. But who's checking out the Word and coming up with a fresh valley that they've found? Who found a spring and they bring it and report it to us? Where's those spies that are going out? To let everybody know, let's go, let's go. Brothers, sisters, we need spies. Are you willing to be a spy? To check out the valleys and the springs and the wells and the mountains? Christ. You're exploring Christ. You're discovering Christ. Oh, it's such a fragrant thing whenever we have a worship service and somebody brings back something original. It's like those spies that came back with that big bunch of grapes on their shoulders like basketballs. Huh. Now that's refreshing. Now I know that we're just, actually we're all part of one big tribe called chicken knives. <laughs> and so it's just like the armies of Israel. We put on the, uh, our Sunday best. We show up and we dance around and say we love the Lord. The Lord's everything. And the Lord says, okay, go into the valleys. We say, I'll see you next week. We, we are in Christ. But Christ wants to possess us. Oh, for assemblies that are full of Christ. Just, a, wow, you can't wait to come. If we really have seen, by revelation, the riches of the glory of His inheritance and in the saints, I tell you what, brothers and sisters, we would probably meet, if possible, every night of the week. The very fact that we say, oh, I've had enough of the saints. Oh, no. Is it Sunday already? Oh, no. Not another Bible study with these guys. They keep munching that beef jerky. I want something fresh. If that's what you're saying, you don't see the treasure. And so we want to look at something tonight. I know there's much exhortation that can be made in the scriptures about how we should press on, run that race, look unto Jesus, you know all that stuff. But since I'm convinced that most of you are already locked into the car wash, I can hear the squeaking tires. I thought instead we might just all remember together the real secret to us entering into the spiritual inheritance. It isn't actually by redoubling our effort. It's by remembering that we've been captured. That wonderful scripture that's our theme verse for this conference that has to do with calling us out of darkness into light, out of the power of God, and, uh, and giving us this inheritance through sanctification. Do you know all of that comes just before Paul's saying, and I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. His whole calling and ministry and life came out of this marvelous vision he had on the road to Damascus. And I want to say to you that in some measure, every Christian has a heavenly vision of Christ. And in that heavenly vision of Christ, as the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our heart, we come to see three things. One, 
the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul saw on the road to Damascus, right? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. He saw the glorious Lord. But I also want to say, a secondary revelation from seeing the glorious Lord is, you come to see who you are. It's an undoing. But it's also a revelation of your value to the Lord. And thirdly, of course, we see that glorious treasure of God's known as the body of Christ. So could I just mention those three things? Because I'm convinced that if anybody has seen him, heard him, tasted him, touched him, as the writer of the hymn says, is not yours a captured heart? Have you heard him, seen him, known him? Is not yours a captured heart? I know that we all have not had uh, such an experience as Paul had on the road to Damascus, actually going blind, actually seeing this Shekinah glory. But the Spirit of God, who has been given to us as the down payment, you remember what Jesus said his job is. He will lead you into all reality and he will keep telling you about me. He's going to keep revealing me until you see me in the breadth and width and height and depth. He's going to keep on showing you who Christ is. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now I have to believe that you and I who are saved, the Holy Spirit has shown us something of the Lord that captures us. You know, there is that period of time, I would say, when we first become Christians where I don't think for most people we would honestly say, if we're really honest, Christ is everything to me. It's true we're saved. We're very glad for forgiveness of sins. But we're pretty much going about our merry life the way we want. Then the Holy Spirit starts to work. And he brings us to a place where we realize, wow, Looks like I've been captured. A time when the Spirit says, well, everybody is having a hard time with Jesus saying, follow the cross. Are you going to leave him too? And you say, where else can I go? I'm caught. That famous book biography title, Once Caught, No Escape. (laughs) Ah. It takes us a... A while to realize we've been caught. But once you know you've been caught, half the battle's over. Because then it's a simple thing. I'll tell you what it is. At first it may be slow going, but here's what happens. Like Paul says, you've been caught by somebody who's not only caught you, but caught your eye and caught your heart. And next thing you know, you start running to catch the one who caught you. Right? Isn't that what Paul says in Philippians 3? I'm running in order that I may attain to him who attained me. The one who apprehended me, how I'm chasing after him. It's turned around. Oh, the Lord had to come and capture us. And when you realize you're captured, what's your response? Well, then, I'm going to go capture him. I'll show you. Are you running after Christ? Look away unto Jesus and run that race. He's the author of our faith. And slowly but surely, the Lord becomes more and more the exclusive, the one who is our heart. Oh, we want so many things in life and it's quite natural. But what happens over time is we see the hem of his garment sometime when we're healed and we realize his mercy. We see his hand as the Song of Solomon says, through the doorway. A loving hand. The hand of our lover picking us up when we fell down. We see his face, perhaps in the face of some brothers or sisters, but we see his face. Somewhere along the line, We hear his voice. I don't know 
how to say we hear it, but I just know that you'll recognize it. That's my Lord. I remember, I, I was saved in 1964, but I remember 1971, the first time I heard a voice inside that said to me, don't worry, you're my child. Now, I had just received the left shoe of fellowship as a Baptist pastor, and I was driving a school bus, $35 a week and all the kids I could eat. <laughs> there wasn't much future in my life, because I was a school bus driver. Eight years of college, school bus driver. But all the Lord had to say to me is, Dana, he said my name. You're my child. Now how can you not love a Lord like that? Have you heard him, seen him, known him? Is not thine a captured heart? I don't know what to say to you if you're a Christian, but you aren't captured yet, except I just think you don't realize it. But I also know the Holy Spirit has some amazingly creative ways to bring us to the place where David could sing, The Lord is my portion, my inheritance. Now that's an exclusive statement. You know that. And if we look in Psalm 16 just for a moment, I think you'll see something very interesting there. And this is a David's psalm, of course. If we look at the beginning, we see that there's circumstances involved in this revelation. <laughs> it's, in a sense, this threefold revelation that I mentioned, where we see the Lord, we see ourselves, and we see the saints. Listen. Verse 1, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Now he's hiding from King Saul, most likely. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. Wow, now, there's a good estimate of who he is. Now this is the boy who played the instrument, the boy who could sling the thing. He's the boy who killed Goliath. And what does he say? I got nothing except you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. You know, if you don't like the saints where you're fellowshipping, then, then I think we should have a special retreat house out in a desert for about six months. Just take you away from all the saints and see how your hunger grows. You say, oh, I wish I could hear that brother who prays on and on and on. I love the saints. They are my uh, great delight. Oh, if we could only see that by revelation now. So there's David. Circumstances have stripped him of all his resources. Even that anointing he received from Samuel. What does it mean when you're hiding in a cave from King Saul? He had nothing. And there's where he said in verse 5, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You support my lot, Lord. Lines have fallen to me in pleasant places indeed. My heritage is beautiful to me. And we know by looking at the record how the Lord devises ways of bringing us into that corner where we're at the end of our rope. That's where we discover the Lord is everything to us. When something we loved has been stripped away, then we discover the Lord is everything to us. Sometimes the Lord even takes us in to a dark place, a difficult place, a place where Job was that nobody could understand. In the end, the Lord became everything to him. Oh, dear saint, there's some of you who have been tossed about and 
hurt by circumstances. Perhaps you're in that dark place which simply means you're all alone. Perhaps you're on the backside of the desert like Moses who for 40 years was stripped of all of that royalty in Egypt business until he saw Jehovah, the I Am, and discovered his inheritance. You know, the Lord has his unique way in everybody's life. But usually, can I be honest? Unless we're stripped away of those things that we hang on to, we say, oh, I love the Lord and everything else I have as well. And we find out at the end of the story of Job that it isn't that the Lord wants to take stuff away from us. He's just not mean and says, well, he's got two cars, watch this. The Lord isn't jealous of his blessings in his life. But until he's number one exclusively with no number two in view, he sometimes has to strip away our self-confidence, our vocational genius, our money-making schemes, our best laid plans. Uh, this applies mostly to girls, how to gain a guy. Or whatever it might be, somewhere along the line, we are going to learn. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. And having learned that through difficult times, we find the Lord restore plenty to us. When we seek first His kingdom and everything else is added unto us. And so there was dear Caleb he loved the Lord so much. He had such faith. He, he took every city he could. But it wasn't that he wanted to be rich. He wanted the Lord to be glorified. Don't you know? It's an amazing thing that happened in the lives of all of these guys. And it brought them in their warfare in taking the promised land to the most noble of the warriors of all Israel. And you know who they were? Not the Judaites, you know, Caleb, they were faithful to be sure. Not even the two and a half tribes that were fighting on this side, even though their inheritance was on the other side. They had a deal on about that. I'll tell you who is most noble and what the Lord's looking for today. Levites. Because they fought and risked life and limb for no inheritance except the Lord. This quote of David's here in Psalm 16 is a quote of the portion given to the Levites. You as a tribe, Dan, you get this. Ephraim, you get that. Judah, you get that. Simeon, you get that. Levites, you get nothing. All you have is the Lord. And the Lord is looking for saints today who want to see the Lord be glorified even though you have no inheritance you're, a, you're like a fox that has no hole and a bird that has no nest. But the Lord is your portion. Where are the Levites? There's enough selfish ones around. What nobility to take up sword and to fight beside your brothers and the other tribes knowing you go home to nothing except the Lord Himself. But I tell you, the Levites gained the best reward. It's like David said right here. The lines have fallen to me. It means the boundaries of my inheritance is the Lord. And I'm telling you what. I got the best piece of land there is. It's an unseen land. You know, the, the, the saints that I see uh, who serve the Lord and sacrifice and go to foreign lands and face incredible persecution and suffering sometimes. In the midst of all of those things, they discover this one thing. Would to God we all experience this reality. The Lord is my provision. Jehovah Jireh never has abandoned me. Whether there's ravens that come from the brook whether it's a supply that comes from here, the Lord is Jehovah Jireh. Once you learn that lesson, you have no fear of losing your job or not making enough money and all that stuff that makes gray hairs like mine. 
when we've seen that the Lord is our portion, well, we've been captured. But the second thing, that's an amazing thing, is, well, (laughs) when one sees the Lord in heavenly vision, it is a complete undoing, isn't it? Paul was undone. All his righteousness, all his pride, all his accomplishments, filthy rags. And so Isaiah saw the Lord and said, I'm undone. When we see who the Lord is, by contrast, we're undone. We are nothing. Listen, people talk and argue about Paul and his pride and Paul and his self. Paul was so undone. He threw away all of that stuff that we are so proud of. And there was only one thing by the later time, as the Lord does this transforming work in our lives, by Paul's latter days, he could surely say this. I am constrained by the love of Christ. I am dead. And I live for him. Paul was concerned for the Lord's reputation, not his reputation. For the Lord's glory, not his glory. For the Lord to be glorified in the church, not for him to get the credit. I think you misread those epistles if you think that Paul, the only time Paul brags is when he says, I'm a fool for doing this. But my heart is telling me to tell you that there is a cost and there is a sacrifice and it's all worth it if Christ can be glorified. Whether in life or death, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now that is not a person who's holding on to, oh, my reputation, and oh, what people think of me, and oh, my religious heritage, and oh. No. He's let it go. You see, it's by sanctification we enter into the inheritance. And we all know that sanctification is the car wash process. But the sanctification starts with a crisis experience where we realize we've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. And Christ, the Spirit of God, can begin to build Christ's life into us. That's the hope of glory that we have as individuals. And we begin to live in a sanctified life which does not mean a perfect life, but it means a life that's been set apart to serve Christ, to live for Christ, to be a worshiper of Christ, to be a priest of Christ, and all of that sort of things. I I find that the tribes of Christendom, of Christianity, the saints, they realize that they're crummy sinners and uh, failures, but they don't take seriously their calling to be sons. Paul did not think he was a great man. He said clearly, there is nothing good in me that is in my flesh. But Paul took seriously that he was a vessel in whom there was a treasure. He was serious about his sanctification. There were many people who just call themselves sinners and they're sloppy in their sanctification. And they do not take up the cross and they don't let the Spirit work in their lives and they may miss their inheritance. Don't you know you've been captured? And you've been captured to be a vessel, a servant. I mean, Paul called himself from that day on a bond servant of Christ. That's who he was. Just a servant. Lord, what do you want? That's what's the important thing. Oh, we we read 1 John chapter 3. How we all love that. But I just like this one word, which is a word that always has faith involved in it. Beloved, now we are the children of God. Now, are you living up to that? In other words, you you have an appointment with destiny. To become a son. In bringing many sons to glory, Christ came through as the son. And now he's bringing us through this sanctification process into glory. We don't know yet what we're going to look like, except we're going to look like him. What a a tremendous thing to say. Now there's those two little boys, and we've watched them grow up. Prince Harry. Prince William. 
And all of the tabloids in London are watching every step they make. Prince William is not the smiley one. You don't hear much about him because he's the heir apparent. Every move in William's life is to prepare him for the throne of England. Every move in your own life is to prepare you for sonship in glory. We do not have free reign just to live our lives casually because something is drawing us a higher purpose. It involves an education of the Holy Spirit as we read about in Hebrews chapter 12. A discipline, a training as sons because He loves us. And He won't let us alone. And He tells us, now you're weak in this area. Now strengthen that limb. That which is crooked, straighten it out. If you want to inherit and be partaker of my holiness, now is a process of sonship. Keep running the race. Allow the Lord to discipline you. You see all of that? Now, a, a, a person will not do that unless they really see who they are in Christ. There's a certain nobility that should come about in your life for one simple reason which I've already mentioned. You and I are just clay vessels but we have a treasure. And, and we're stewards of a treasure. And there's nothing to be taken lightly. All the saints gone by are waiting for us to be glorified that they might join in the great inheritance which is to come. Which brings us to the third and last of these great things seen under the light of our Lord Jesus Christ. That the spirit of wisdom and revelation may grant us to know what is the exceeding greatness of the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We sell each other pretty short. The Lord sees us as glorious. When we gather together two or three, what's your assembly look like? I, I don't even know. But when we gather two or three and he comes with his presence in the midst of us, it's the joy of his heart. It's the church gathered around their Lord, even like tomorrow morning. It's the Lord's delight. It's his inheritance. It's his treasure. Look, my kids, gathered as one, worshiping the, my God and Father. Oh, how the Lord loves it. And then you and I pick on each other. I don't like this. I don't like that. And of course, in the end, to our humiliation, we discover we're wrong. We sell each other short. We criticize somebody. And the thing that I've always seen, if you hang in there long enough with brothers and sisters... There's a story behind everybody's life. You know that eccentric who gathers with you? That you joke about? There's a story behind that life. Of the Lord's love. For somebody hapless and hopeless. Until Christ came into their life. Oh how we sell them short. We look at one another, we might think somebody is stupid or somebody is stubborn. And of course, if you want to look at one another according to the flesh, oh, how could we possibly dwell together? This fellowship, this assembly is a disaster. If you feel that way, please don't move to Manhattan. Because we're a sorry lot just like where you live. But there's a treasure. There's something worth more than a million bucks to the Lord. Right there assembled in our midst. And we will learn as we 
It, it, here's where we actually see the treasure. And that's where we discover we're wrong. Are you disappointed by people? You're wrong. If you will hold fast to the headship of Christ and bear with one another, we discover the treasure as we serve together, as we suffer together, as we cry together, as we pray together. Brothers and sisters, does, you remember in the book of Philippians, does Euodia really see how precious Syntyche really is? Does Philemon really understand how precious Onesimus has become since he got saved? Whenever we look at one another in the flesh, the one thing in the end we'll discover is that we're wrong. We have sold somebody short that the Lord loves and died for. This revelation, I don't know what else to say about it except the Lord wants us to see the preciousness of the body. It is so precious to come together on a weekend like this in camp at Shiloh. <laughs> but the greater treasure is back home. If we could only see I'll just finish up with one more scripture that we all know so well in Matthew chapter 13. You know, uh, here in Matthew chapter 13, the Lord shares these amazing parables. And um, it's actually, if you look on, on the outside basis, a pretty discouraging thing. To think in the kingdom there's sowing going on and most of the people don't bear fruit. To think in the kingdom there's sowing goes on and then there's tares that are thrown in when you're not looking. To think in the kingdom the loaf is made and somebody sticks leaven in there and spoils the loaf. To think in the kingdom there's a little planted seed of faith that grows and then it gets gargantuan and all wrong and next thing you know evil birds are sitting over this man's kingdom that started out just an assembly in a little flock. Whoa. Well who wants to be part of that? It appears to be what's going on today. And then the Lord takes the disciples inside. And of course, they understood so little. He had to explain every parable. And he said, what does that mean? What's this wheat and tares? What's this sowing? But once he gets them inside, he says, okay. Let me tell you why I'm willing to sow even my life into the ground and let it die. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. This is verse uh, 44. Which a man found and hid again and from joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, you know, we, uh, we all, I don't know, hymn guys, hymn writers, usually change it around and make Christ our treasure. Now, we've got to give him credit for that. Because Christ is our treasure. But this parable is talking about the treasure that Christ has found. In this sod, this earth, Christ has found the treasure. It's hid. Oh, it's good and hid, isn't it? And for this treasure, he sells and gives his life. To buy the field. To gain the treasure. And that's what our assemblies are like. Treasure hid in the field. Precious to the Lord. And then of course the parable that goes right immediately following is that pearl merchant. Who after buying a lot of good stuff sells everything for the one one. And we know what that is. There's the bride. And they're just two parables that simply say, it's the Lord speaking to us saying, my dear hidden treasure, I love you so much. I desire for you to come and be a treasure that all can see. My bride, 
which even hid now. I'm sanctifying by the washing of water with the Word. I'm bringing you, and the closer you get to me, the more this treasure is being exposed. You, you are why I'm here. You are who I'm waiting for. You see, as we gather together at Shiloh and worship, we have a Lord who's waiting for us to rest in the rest, to come to that final rest where the saints of old can join with us now and brothers and sisters who died uh, 50 years ago and a century ago and all through the history of the church, they're all waiting to be gathered. They're part of that treasure that Jesus died for. And may the Lord give us eyes to see that that brother or sister sitting next to us and behind us and before are precious treasures. Now can we, by loving them, bring forth the treasure? You know, it only comes how? If we spend enough time, we will all be broken. And every time a person's broken, what do we see? Christ. Look at Christ in my sister. It took a breaking to let that ointment come out. That, oh, what a fragrance. And how it enriches. And so we hold fast to the head and dwell together as brothers and sisters in very incomplete and hidden fields. And one by one the Lord breaks us as we go through tragedy and trouble and problems, dark places and strippings. We don't pour condemnation on brothers and sisters. We cover them in mercy. And as the vessel is broken through circumstance by the arrangement of the Holy Spirit, it's really worth it. Oh, what a treasure we have. The Lord recognizes it already. We, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, can see that treasure we have. Watch tomorrow morning before the Lord's table. I love, there's a certain facet I like, because I'm such an extroverted person. You know, I have no problem standing up and praying. I mean, the Lord is always holding me down, you see. Uh, there's actually some invisible suspenders. <laughs> Oh, when I get together on, in Manhattan on Sundays, I, I always feel this oh, twang, twang. No, stay, stay down, stay down. But what I love is to see normally shy, timid people forget about themselves and worship God. This to me is one of the greatest miracles. What? That shy sister prayed such a prayer? She just went out of herself. She was so in love with the Lord. Look at that prayer. She's such a chicken. I mean, if I went up afterwards and said that this is a hello, sister, wonderful prayer, she turns blood red <laughs> and wouldn't pray for two months, I'm sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Isn't this a precious treasure we have with one another? Oh, may we appreciate it. The day will soon come when the veil will be lifted off our eyes and we'll see that those people we've shortchanged around us, we've been wrong, wrong, wrong. Regarding our moms and dads, we've been so wrong. Regarding those brothers in leadership, you've been so wrong. Wait till you see. Now by faith, may the Holy Spirit show us these things at least enough. It will allow him to gain his spiritual inheritance. All I can say is, press on, realizing you've been captured. You've been gained by the great gainer. You've been apprehended by the lover of your soul. So run that race. Find him. Discover him. Bring us back some spies' reports. We'll be glad to hear. There's so much ground yet to tread before the Lord comes back. Oh, help us. May we all be in the process of possessing our own territory, as it were, for the Lord's glory. 
when he comes back. Father, we thank you so much that the Son is your treasure and he's our treasure too. We know as we're stripped, it's more real to us than it was before. We realize, Lord, that we're nothing, but we're called for important purposes in glory. And so we take it seriously as those called into royal priesthood. And Lord, grant us that we might live a kingdom life as we gather together and assemble. Oh, may it be that your presence would be in the midst and we could see your face expressed in brothers and sisters of all kinds and shapes and forms. Oh, may it not be just an assembly of old people and young ones just looking on. May it not just be an assembly of young people with no old people. May it be full, full, because your saints gather together in your name and express your life. Oh, now, Lord, we pray soon enough we'll be traveling from Shiloh back to our own lands and territories to claim. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to stand true to you as you gain your spiritual inheritance in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.